and enjoyed your Canada Day, and you've got two more days, but you're making time to worship. I love what, Mark, you did there that I've started to do that at your suggestion as the, that bucket goes by. I just stop and say, thank you, Lord, this is for you. And then I send out. I do all my giving online because I don't want to forget. So it's pre-authorized. It happens whether I remember or not. And I seem to be forgetting more and more things. So I didn't want to forget that. But it doesn't change the fact that Crystal and I are giving. And so that's just a great, again, a great discipline of, yeah, Lord, this is for you. Just to remember that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, this, uh, our preaching team, which consists of Blair and Lester and uh, Dustin and myself, uh, got together uh, earlier in the year and then solidified in June our schedule for the coming year. And one of the things that we felt really strongly about was what we would preach on James, the book of James, during the summer. So I'm going to kick off our time in the book of James. Now, I need to warn you, you might want to go to a different church this summer. Because if you get out of the book of James for this summer without feeling deeply convicted about something, then either you're a saint, well, you are a saint because you belong to God. That's what a saint is. Either your life is really, really on track with Jesus or you're just totally in denial. Like it's got to be one or the other because James is so clear. The brevity and the, he just strikes at home with truth. Uh, I wonder if he learned that from his brother, Jesus. And uh, as we start this series, you're going to see it in the very first words that he says. And uh, we'll skip the little intro. Uh, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So to the believers in God scattered among the nations. He says, greetings, and then nails them right between the eyes. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials, difficulty, pain, uh, uh, hurt of many kinds. Now just stop and think about it. It's easy to read about that, read that over that and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now what he is saying is when you're going for chemo treatments and the reports coming back are not the, the cancer shrinking but it's growing and you're wondering how long you can put up with this, consider that pure joy. When you're struggling with your relationship with one of your children who has turned their back on maybe you, maybe the faith, and is kind of off living in a way that, that is not honoring to God, and you're concerned for them, and you're concerned about your relationship with them, consider joy that you're going through this. When you are praying to God to provide for you that partner, that spouse in life that you will walk through life with and begin to build a family and begin to build a life together, but it's day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and you still haven't found that person you're praying for, and the loneliness is setting in. Yeah, consider that pure joy. Now, Keep in mind, God may call you to singleness, which, by the way, Paul says is better than being married. So I'm not making a statement about singleness, but the vast majority of people are looking for that partner. And when you can't find that person, consider joy. When you're watching your 
brother-in-law, sister-in-law, brother, sister, friends, neighbors, just seem to be blessed. And, you know, they got the new cars, they got the trips. It just seems like they got the clothes. And, and you're just struggling to keep it together financially. And you wonder, why is God blessing them? Consider that joy. You should be joyful. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that statement and I think... Was James smoking drugs? Because joy is the last thing I considered if I were in one of those situations. What in the world is James talking about? I think he clarifies it in the next verse. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because, this is why you consider joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So when you go through a test, it creates perseverance as you hang on and trust God through it and let perseverance finish its work. So keep persevering until perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything, that you will be fully where God wants you at this point in time, who he wants you to be, mature and complete, as if that is the most important thing, which it is in God's mind. Jack Carr, I don't know if you recognize that name, he's a former Navy SEAL, and he's now a writer, and he, wrote, he writes a series of books uh, and you might have seen one on Prime. They put it to TV, Terminalist. I don't know if you've recognized that. Uh, Chris Pratt, sir, was the main character of a Navy SEAL comes home and everything's against him and he has to put all the evil right. Well, Jack Carr is actually a Navy SEAL, or was, and he knows what it's like to be a Navy SEAL and what it takes to become a Navy SEAL. And he, throughout his books, he has at least four that I'm aware of, he, he often refers back to the test that they had to go through to become a Navy SEAL. The extreme pain that they were put through. The exhaustion, the mental struggles that they would put them through. Days laying in a swamp. Hours upon hours in freezing cold where the body is almost shutting down. Uh, runs and, and physical activity until you literally dropped. And then forcing the mind to say, yes, I'll keep going when the body is screaming, no, I won't. In fact, 80% of the people that start the SEAL program never finish. It's that hard. It's that hard. And, and th it's the top of the top that starts. But when he talks about those tests, it's always with a kind of, kind of swagger. Uh, not proud swagger, but a swagger, a, 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 a sense of they made us who we are, the most effective special ops team in the world. If it wasn't for the tests and the enduring, I could never have become a seal. And now I look back, not that I enjoyed being frozen out of my mind, wet, damp, pushed beyond my extreme, but because I persevered, I got to my goal, which was to become 
a seal. And I never would have been qualified as a seal if I didn't persevere the tests. That's what James is saying. He's not saying, hey, whenever you're hurting, be glad. It's great to hurt. He is not a masochistic Christian. He is saying, look beyond the hurt and see that through your test and your persevering in that test, God is making you who he's designed you to be. So, whether it's you're losing all your money, you're in a financial test and bankruptcy is real, whether you're struggling with gender identity, whether you're fighting in a broken marriage, whether you're losing friends because people at work are saying, lying about you, and you're being put into a, a situation where it's so unfair. Whether you're struggling with same gender attraction, whether you're struggling with greed and the lack that you don't have the things that everybody else, whatever your struggle is, a health struggle, a mental struggle, a personal emotional struggle, whatever it is, James says, God is at work in this, persevere, and he will create in you the maturity and completeness that he longs for you. It is not by accident you are going through what you are going through. And though you may not sense God, he is there. Persevere. So the question I have is, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to take joy not in the pain, but in what God is going to do through this. That's a step of faith. That if I persevere, God will make me different. But how do I do it? Because it's just hard. It's not like I, you know, oh, I worry about this for two minutes a day. It means with me all the time, weighing me down. How do I do this? And then James talks about this. If any of you lack wisdom, and so if any of you don't know how to deal with this, to persevere, to keep going, ask God, who gives generously, generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. It doesn't matter if you're struggling. It doesn't matter if you fail and get back up. God's not going to say, well, you, I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not succeeding, so I'm not going to help you. God is right there. It doesn't matter if, if you lack wisdom. It doesn't matter if you don't know what to do. In fact, if you don't, ask God. He'll give generously. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And when do we doubt in our trials? We doubt in our trials that God is not being fair. He's not doing what he should be doing. He's not keeping the contract that I had. I'll follow you, but you make my life good. Or the pain of it is so, so darkens, brings dark clouds of doubt, we can't see beyond into the sunlight. And we wonder where God is. And he says, don't, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't go down that path. Ah, God is with you. Ask him for the strength and the wisdom to know how to handle your test. Now, I find this personally true. So I've shared with you a number of times about the test we went through several years ago with our oldest son and how he was battling for uh, time with his daughter and uh, him and his girlfriend had a, a baby and then they weren't together and there was battles going on and... I had all the plan. I knew how to handle it. I, you know, I sat down. I thought it through. I was going to say this. I was going to do that. I was praying, God, you do this. And then as we were seeking God through the pain of all this, God spoke very clearly to Crystal and I. Lamentations chapter 3. It is good 
to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Ed, you want me to work this out in your life and in your son's life. Now you wait quietly. Now that was the loudest word I have ever heard from scripture. Wait quietly. Stop your plans, stop your machinations, stop your, your talking to people, stop going on and on about it, stop telling people what to do, stop telling me what to do, and just quietly wait, and I will bring about salvation. That about killed me. I wanted to do something. I wanted to solve it. But we, I had to keep praying, because I'd get into it, right? Like, get into praying, telling God what he should be doing. No, 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 quietly. Or then I'd go to my son and tell him what to do. And God's like, no, 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 quietly. That's not quietly. Shh. You know, we're out of it now, looking back on it. I cannot, I cannot fathom how God brought the end that he brought. It's the best possible resolution to the situation. I, I don't even know how he got there. All I know is that if I had been in there, messing with it, doing what I was thinking was the right thing, and not listening to the word of God and the wisdom for that, I would have totally hurt my son in our relationship and my granddaughter in our relationship. The scars I would have left from the way, things I would have said and the things I would have done. Would have been dangerously damaging. But in the quietness. Now not everybody is told to be quiet when they seek the wisdom of God. In fact, I think that's what the next verses are. He's going to give an illustration of how you deal with a situation that never seems to go away and consider joy. He says, now believers in humble circumstances, now I think he's coming. This is what it means to have this kind of wisdom. James, the brother of Jesus says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Just stop. So the, 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 the translation may be a little bit subtle. Those of you that don't have any money and are poor, take pride in your poverty. <laughs> okay. Again, James must have banged his head on the door coming out. Like, well, because the reason he says this is I think he was listening to his brother, Jesus, who said, looking at his disciples, he said, meaning Jesus, Luke 6, verse 20, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. If you follow the teaching of Jesus on money and wealth, he never condemns anybody for having it, but he says that there's very few rich people that get into the kingdom because money becomes their God. It is so distracting and, and fills such a need that rich people generally don't generally don't have much to do with God. Now, if you come here any bit of time, uh, you've heard me and even last week, I think, Dustin mentioned that Byron and I go door to door and there's a team that go door to door. We've been doing it for a year. We bang on the door and ask them if we can pray for them. If they say yes, then we ask them, would they like to know how God draws near? And we share. We have found, this is just personal experience, the whiter and the wealthier, the least receptive. 
I don't have a W for receptive, so I have to say receptive. <laughs> we have found that people who are of an immigration or different ethnicity are very, even if they don't want to hear anything, they're very kind. And well, they welcome, they let you say whatever you want to say, and then they'll say no. White people, shut the door, give you the face. We have found, regardless of ethnicity, the wealthier, the less receptive. I mean, when you stop and think about it, we're arriving at their door to tell them how they can be made right with God and have eternal life. Nah, not interested. Why? Well, because when you have money, you have the things you want in life, and you can use your money to buy the things you think you need. Now, it never ultimately fulfills you, but it sure is a nice thing to have, isn't it? The richer we are, the less receptive we are to God, because we don't, our money takes care of our problems. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And so when you're in poor and you got nothing, where do you turn? Upward. So James says, see, there's the, there's the wisdom of God. Understand that your poverty is actually making it easier for you to understand God in your life. So rejoice in that. Rejoice in that blessing in your life. That because you don't have much, you are open to the thing that matters. <laughs> That's a different way to look at it. Now, interesting, he now gives a different wisdom to the rich. So he says, believers in, the, believers in humble circumstances, the poor. But the rich should take pride. Now, the believer take pride in their low position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What does he mean by that? Since they'll pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their own business. This is a quote and understanding from the Old Testament that our lives are short. We're a vapor, we're mist, we're breath are terms used to describe our lives. It goes by quickly. And when it's done, guess how much of your bank account and things you take with you? <laughs> and that's an accounting term. And James is saying, rejoice that, that you are not tied to this earth by the things that you have. Rather, rejoice in the fact that your life is brief and knowing that you can use your money to steward it well and not let it get in the way of you understanding what God has for your life. This is a word for us today in Canada. Our culture tells us, get Buy, own, here's the new word, experience. And the wisdom of God says, no, remember, your life is brief. It all goes, so use it while you have it in a way that honors God. See, the wisdom for these two different circumstances around money is different depending on who you are, whether you're poor or whether you're rich. And James is speaking to people who are both, just like I am. 
Now look at what he says. When you persevere by seeking the wisdom of God to know how to handle it, blessed are you who persevere under trial, under test, under pain, under hurt, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When you persevere, you are saying to God, I love you more than this life. I love you more than my comfort. I love you more than getting out of this test. I persevere because I love you. And your perseverance in a test shows where your heart truly is. Is it focused on Jesus? Or is Jesus number one in your life? Or is self number one in your life, right? Every test we face, that's the test I face. Am I going to obey what the word of God says? Or am I going to shift it so, or ignore it so that I can do what I really want? Am I going to give like the word of God says? Or am I going to make excuses and keep the money and use it for my own things? Am I going to confess my sin, the pornography that I've been going through, or am I going to hide it and just keep watching it? Am I going to go to the person that I've been gossiping against and talk to them and say, I'm sorry, or am I going to just pretend quietly like it didn't happen, maybe even keep doing it? Am I going to obey the scriptures to talk to the person that I have conflict with or am I going to keep repressing it, putting it down, avoiding it? Because that's what I want. That's that when we do what is right, especially when it's hard, especially when we have to persevere, it is a statement of worship and love to Jesus greater than any statement you ever make here. Unless, of course, you're here and singing in pain. And listening in pain because you want God desperately. And as you persevere, now it's interesting where this verse comes because James has just said, hey, when you're dealing, struggling with money, whether you have it or you don't, there's something greater than anything money can offer. It's kind of implied. It's a subtle movement of the text when James says, you will be blessed and receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Tell me, what would it cost financially to buy the crown of life? The first question might be, is it worth it? And James is talking to those who think it is. It is worth it to please Jesus, to walk and struggle with him hand in hand. When I fall, to get down and get back up and to keep pursuing him and seeking him to find out how do I handle this painful situation in my life and then see that, that in the end there will be great joy that I have gone through. And by the way, the one common thing I have found among people who have walked with God is they all go through. So real faith is tested. You're, you're, <clears throat> if you think by having faith in Jesus it'll make life easier, you've been sold a bill of goods. Makes it better, but doesn't make it easier. 
And so as you, as you walk through the reality that, that you're putting your trust and your faith in God, he is promising to build in you this new life that he's implanted in you so that that new life from God takes over. And eventually, that's all that will be left. When you go through the process of glorification and leave this flesh and take on the new resurrected life that God gives you. And he is assuming that that's worth far more than anything you'll gain here. And so endure and persevere. Now, when we face trials, so, so don't miss what I just said. Your persevering in your pain is your greatest song of love and worship to God. When you persevere, you're saying, I, I, I want to quit. I want to keep going on. But God, you tell me to, so I will. Because you're more important than me. I put you first in my life. Now, what, when we are about to quit or when we quit, what do we do? So I read about this all the time. Or what are we tempted to do when we, when we feel like we can't go on anymore? Usually we, we start dissing God. We start thinking and talking like God hasn't been faithful to us. He's let me go through this pain and he hasn't relieved it and I've prayed and prayed and prayed and God hasn't taken it away. There must be something wrong with God. Why would God let this happen to me? There must be something wrong with God. There's something broken about God. So what we are doing is accusing him of evil. So the moment you question God's motive or say there's something wrong or he's unfair or he's unjust or he's not right, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, you're approaching and eventually stepping into saying, well, there's something wrong with God. He's, he's evil. When tempted, verse 13, Uh, interesting, he, James must be talking still about what he raised up in verse 2 because it's the same word. So when in trial or when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God is doing something wrong. For God cannot be tempted. Now watch what James says to respond to this thought. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. There's a Greek, in Greek mythology, there's a story of uh, Ulysses or Odysseus, depending which version you're reading, same person, and it's called the Odyssey. And I'm sure you have heard that referred to, I don't know if you know the story. Uh, Ulysses is a great warrior, he goes to Troy to fight against uh, the people of Troy, and when the battle's over, he's headed home, but he's waylaid by fate, and he's sent off on this odyssey of trying to get back home, this long journey. Part of the journey, he has to go past the Isle of Sirens, and sirens were half female, half bird type characters, 
And uh, it, you, uh, they had this w voice and this song that enchanted sailors and, and, and convinced them to run their boat upon the ground and shores and shipwreck their ship, and then the sirens would feed on them. It's a wonderful little story for putting kids to bed at night. And so Odysseus, or Ulysses, knowing what he was going to face, stuffed wax in his ears and so he couldn't hear the song. And in case the song got through, he had himself tied to the mast of the ship so he couldn't do anything about it. So he could sail by. Even though tempted, he would persevere. Orpheus also sailed by the uh, Isle of Sirens. But he just sat calmly on, desk, on deck. No wax, no ropes, no nothing. You see, Orpheus was the greatest of all musicians. And the song of the sirens was so below him that not only did it not tempt him, but it was discordant and worthless and empty to him. It had no impact on him. That's what James is trying to tell us. God is like Orpheus. Evil is so below him, so disgusting, so discordant to his nature. He would never, ever do anything that is evil. Now let me just say this. God would never do evil, but he is the only one that can use evil to bring righteousness. La cross. He allowed his son to be killed on a cross. Jesus, who is God, uh, agreed to die on the cross so that taking our place would pay for our sins so we could be justified, declared righteous, all our sins paid for so that we could be reconciled with God. God used evil to bring about good, but God does not do evil. There's a difference. And thankfully, there is a difference because in this world, we will face evil. Evil people will come against us. But God can even use that to produce his ends. But he never does evil. So when we say, God, you're not faithful, you're not true, we're accusing him of evil. And James says, he can't do it. He's like Orpheus. But we <laughs> are like Ulysses. That's what James says here. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. We have these passions and desires within us. Some are good, some are evil. And the evil ones drag away at us and they tempt us and they move us away from God. And then after desire has conceived, meaning we act on it, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to separation. That's what death is, separation. The reason we are separated from God is the own evil, not because God isn't doing his part or he's unrighteous or unfair or unjust, but because we are following desires deep within that take us away from him. Because we put ourselves ahead of God. It's, it's crazy, this Christian thing. It's the voluntary submission of your whole soul, body, and mind to Jesus. I understand why some people go, mm, not sure I want to do that. 
I understand, because the cost is massive. Submitting, submission of myself so that God is first. Submission of yourself so that God is first. And when we fail to do so, it's prompted by these desires within that want us, me, to get. But get what I want, regardless of what God is doing in my life. So James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every, so God doesn't bring evil. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good thing you have comes from above, from the Father of heavenly lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. Not one day he's evil, one day he's good, one day he's you know, really comforting and gentle, and one day he's really harsh. And, and it's, God's not like that. He's the same. He's always good. He's always trustworthy. He's always faithful. Everything you have, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. His word of life works in us when we believe it. It changes us. It changes who we are from the inside out. It changes our standing from God. It makes us the children of God, saints, even though we're not always saintly, we're still saints. Saints, we belong to God. He's paid for us and he's resurrected us into new life. And God says to us, or James says to us, it's not him that gives evil in our lives. By the way, God was under no no compulsion to offer salvation to me. Not like I deserved it. It's because he's so good. And he created, chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, real faith will be tested. If you have a real faith, you're, it's going to be tested. Don't be shocked at that. It is the story of every godly person. It is the story of Jesus. Read the Gospels and look how often he was assaulted or attacked, tested. It is the way of the kingdom in this world. So two things. First of all, don't be surprised when you go through a hard test. It's how God is making you who he wants you to be. So rejoice that God loves you enough that he is going to use this test to make you who he wants you to be. Don't be shocked at it. Don't be surprised at it. Don't be hurt by it. I mean, you've got to work through that stuff. But end where you go, okay, God, I'm going to seek you for the wisdom I need. Don't let the world, don't let your, the voice you know, in your head that says, oh, well, and if you, God really loved you, he wouldn't put you through a test. The scripture says God really loves us. He died for us, and tests are part of getting us to where we need to be. That's how damaging sin is to us. So don't be surprised. And the second thing I would say is, don't blame God when you feel all alone. It is, almost, it, it is a universal truth that believers at times feel like God has departed from them. When you can't see the sun anymore, you can't see God, you can't, don't hear his voice. And generally it's, in the big tests, it can be for months and even years. I was shocked to read Mother Teresa's uh, kind of her journal. And the older she got, the more influence she had. God used her in incredible ways. 
But she would say, I, I wonder where God is. I don't sense God. I think he's left me. I thought, well, if Mother Teresa's facing that, why would I be exempt? Real faith is tested. It's not that God has left you. It's that this is your opportunity to seek him for the wisdom to how, go, how to go through this test. And by persevering, you're expressing your love and your worship to him. And he promises that as you persevere through this life, you will gain the crown of life. A life so different, so exceedingly abundantly beyond what we experience now. We'll be shocked that we ever thought it wasn't worth following, which is Paul's words. I consider it that the sufferings today are not worthy of the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, go through the book of Acts and his writings and see what he suffered. Let's pray. Today, Father, uh, we're reminded that real faith, the kind of faith that follows you, first and foremost, James says, is tested. We should expect these tests. And you have provided a way for us to persevere by seeking you and gaining the wisdom that we need to know how to handle it and what to do about it. Preserve us from accusing you of doing wrong or turning on you, calling you unfaithful. Rather, help us to remember the good things that you have put in our lives, the life, the, the new life through Christ, the word of truth that gives us an understanding of you, the way that you feed this new life, and grant us the grace when we don't think we can hold on any longer to persevere and so express our love to you. I want to pray over those right now who are going through that kind of test. That as we go into communion, this will be a time to resettle in their heart and mind your love, as we remember you died for us. So let us remember your love and that you will see us through to the end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.